Good morning. Welcome. If this is your first time, welcome. I want to speak this morning. I feel, I, I say this often, but I, there's times when I, I preach that I, I feel like there's something I'm carrying, like there's something heavy that I need to offload. And I, I want to I want to do it this morning with, with love and, and joy in my heart. But to go where I think God is leading us at the moment, it's, it's going to feel a little bit like a smack. And I was, I was talking to a friend during the week. He said, so long, as, so long as you give a hug in the middle and you smack and hug, it's kind of like a hug sandwich. It's okay. So that's what I'm going to attempt to do. But I, I want you to know that for, for me, this is a challenge as well as to where we go. When I hear Jeeva's story and I hear that he carries bricks through the jungle to physically build the church, when he, when he opens his home, his wife works in a hospital and she works all day with sick people and then they open their home to those who are sick to come and live in his house. His house is always full. When I, when I hear him speak about the gospel, when I hear him speak about the mission of God, it challenges me to my core. Because I know we, we have a different picture here in the West. We have a different understanding. We have a different direction. It challenges, challenges who I am because I'm saying to God, God, how do I get that zeal and passion? How do I carry bricks through the jungle where I could die at any moment in order to build your church? And then once God starts revealing things to me, now how do I pass that on to the people you've asked me to lead? How do I encourage those in, in a world that is, is turbulent, in a world that is messy, that is full of pain and hurt. For most of us, when we come to church on Sunday morning, we have a, an idea of what it's going to look like, a picture of, of, of what it's going to be. And, and to some degree, we kind, of, we kind of feel, God, can I just get a pick-me-up? Can I just get a, a, a get-back-in? And I think what God is saying to us in this time and what he said to us during this time over over COVID is that we have to recenter our hearts. We have to replace the things that are around us and actually learn how to, to direct our life in, in, in the direction and way of Christ. So I started, I was talking with Jess during the week and just saying, I don't know what to preach. I don't know where to go. We've just done nearly 15 weeks in Ephesians. We've, we've got so much content that 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 series through Ephesians was nearly 40,000 words that, that I wrote to, to lead and guide us in that. There's, there's nearly 15 hours of audio content. And then you start thinking about all the other sermons and things we listen to. And I said, I said to Jess, I don't know how we actually move on from here. And then Jess started speaking as she does so amazingly in terms of a, a, a workshop way and how to get people up on their feet. And she was gonna, going to preach this morning, but she got saved by the bell because she's on kids' church. So she used to I think God's telling me to preach. I said, then we'll just change kids' church. But we, we were almost there. But I started thinking about this. She, she showed me this model, which I'm going to show you in a minute. And God started speaking at our dinner table. And I had a... A, a Coles voucher that is about five meters long. And I just started writing these notes that God was just revealing in this thing about how we're supposed to grow up as a people. But he, he, he challenged our understanding of the word discipleship. 
Because often in the church, often in Christian spheres, we hear disciples, 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 make disciples, be disciples, make disciples, be disciples. And I started to wonder and ask, God, what, what does it really look like for us to be a disciple of you? That word disciple is the, is the Greek word methetes, and it means literally means to be a learner or a pupil. It means that you, you actually learn the ways of Christ. And we, we see the story with, with Mary and Martha that Jesus paints a picture of a disciple sitting at his feet. But the, the, the Jews understood being a disciple even deeper than that because they understood that it wasn't just learn from the rabbi. It was become like the rabbi. The learning that they understood, the, be, the, the becoming a disciple didn't mean sit and listen. It meant sit and become. That's why Paul is able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Become like me as I become like Christ. So, so Jesus is not saying, be a good boy, do your bits, learn your things, and then we'll move on. He's saying, I want you to mimic who I am. I want you to become like me. Why? So you can do the things that I've done and greater still. The way we operate like that is we become like Christ. And you know, I realized last weekend we were playing golf with a friend of ours, and I think it was Monday, and, and three, uh, a few of the boys were chatting about what we had done the day before. And he said to me, he said, Hey, Ben, I don't mean to be rude and forgive my ignorance, but I didn't think you were allowed to do anything on Sunday because it's God's day. And it hit me, and I, I, I said, I kind of laughed to start with. And then I said, Oh, sorry, man, I don't, didn't mean to laugh. I said, Can you tell me what you think church looks like? And he said, oh, I've never really thought about it. I guess big wooden pews and you come in and you, you tell the guy what you've done wrong and he, he says good job and then you can move on. You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't do anything outside of a certain list of rules and you keep on your way. And I said to him, do we look like the kind of guys who <laughs> have lived like that? And he said, no, that's why I'm a little bit confused about the whole thing. So I realized his grid for church, his understanding of being like Christ was, was zero to non-existent. He saw what he had seen in the pictures of, a, of an old Catholic church. But other than that, he had no idea. See, for us, we kind of think like everyone in the West knows about Christ. We don't really need to talk about him because they know. They just don't want to follow him. That's not true. The reality is that they don't know about Christ. They don't know what this looks like. They don't know why we would give our lives over for this. They don't know why a grown man would be on his knees weeping to God because they've never actually seen or experienced what that looks like. They've never actually got to see the king in which we worship. And, and to, to, to them, there's this reality of, you guys are nuts. I've walked in the room. I've seen while you're worshiping, I'm looking around, there's nothing there. But it's up to us as the followers of Christ to be the example, to be the light unto the world, to reveal who he is, to say, hey, it's not what you think it is. It's not that. To become like Christ. Jesus says this in Luke 14, 25, 33. He says, now great crowds accompany him, Jesus preaching before what we can understand to be thousands. And he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desires to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. 
Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war would sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is positioning to all the people that he was speaking to, weigh the cost of following me. Weigh the cost of following me. Sit down, get out your pros and cons list and weigh the cost of becoming my disciple. Because what I'm bringing you into is not a rotary club. It's not a pop in, pop out. What I'm bringing you into is the most incredible thing I could ever bring you into. But I'm going to ask something of you. Yes, Lord, what is it? Everything. I want all of you. One of the incredible things that you deal with when you go to, to India or Sri Lanka and you preach the gospel is that you have to explain after preaching the gospel that this is not just another God that goes on the shelf. This is not just the, the, the Jesus next to all the other gods that are up there. That Jesus becomes the King of Kings, the Bible says, the God of gods. The, the God. So we look at that and we go, man, they don't know that they can't have... Um, I can't think of any of the other gods' names right off the top of my head at the moment, but we, we, we kind of laugh. like, Oh, they don't know that Jesus is, is not just one of them, that he is God. He is Yahweh. He is the King of Kings. But what we do in this nation is exactly the same thing. We add Jesus into our life. He's saying, I don't want you to add me to your life. I want to become your life. I want to be all that there is. I want, there to, I want my, me to be everything. So it's not, it's not family, work, Jesus, golf, knitting. It's not one of the things that gets added to our list. It's Christ, I in you and you in me. Then everything comes around that. Everything comes into that life. My family comes into the life of me in Christ and Christ and, and, I, and, Christ and me. My golf, my, my, my cooking, my knitting, whatever it is, it's not a hobby. This doesn't become a hobby for us. I know this sounds simple, but when I look over the Western church, when I look over the church, I go, can we do that? Can we do what Jiva is doing? Or... Are we too caught up in the other gods to realize that, that Yahweh wants us to, to step where he, where he has asked us to step? See, if you start looking at those other things as, as little G-gods that rule and take in our life, then we start to realize we have to remove all of that in order to see who he is and what he wants us to do. What the mandate is that he calls us into. So I want to show you something quite interesting, which simplifies what I'm trying to say here. The word mandate, the noun for the word mandate is an official order or commission to do something. And the verb, which is a doing word, is to give somebody authority to act in a certain way. So it's a, an official order or commission to do something, and it's to give somebody authority to act in a certain way. This is what God has done for us. He has given us an order or a commissioning 
with an authority to act in a certain way for the time we have left. We learn in Ephesians that, that Paul says, beware of the time for it is evil. Steward the time you have left for it is evil. Our time is running out. I've said this so many times during this series of Ephesians. Our time is running out. And God has commissioned us something to do. In Genesis 1.28, we see the beginning of that commissioning. We see the very start of what God asks us to do. Genesis 1.28, if you've got a Bible with you. If you'd like to follow so you can see that I'm not telling you porkies. It's also helpful for you to see it. Because exactly what was given in the garden has not changed for today. It says this, 28, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. Often we see this verse used to go and have heaps of children. But the, the realm in which God was speaking into with Adam and Eve was not the physical. He was speaking into the spiritual. It says, be fruitful and multiply. The New Testament says to us that, that we will know them by their what? By their fruit. Right? So God is telling Adam and Eve in the very beginning, be fruitful. Make your life an example of me. Make your life an image of me. Show me the fruit that I've put before you. Show me the reality of who you are. God calls us to produce good fruit in our life that we can see here in Genesis. He also calls us to multiply, to expand the kingdom. Our fruitfulness should be going out into the workplace, into our, our sports fields, into our shopping centers, into our lives, carried by who? You and I. That as we're fruitful, those who are around us eat of that fruit. They see what's in us. They see what's coming from us. If you're the guy at work that people say, he's the cranky guy, you need to reevaluate the fruit that's oozing from your life. If you're the tired, sad guy, you need to evaluate the truth, sorry, the fruit that's in your life. If you're the guy that people come to when they're lost and hurting, well done, good job. There is fruitfulness there. If you're the guy that people want to talk to to ask hard questions, well done, there's fruit there. See, the fruit of our life, the way we follow Christ, the way we carry his image, the way we begin to look more and more like him, can't help but ooze into those around us. I didn't want to tell this story because I didn't want it to seem like... <laughs> we have Warren and Beck here with us and I wasn't going to do anything was, I promise, but... I want to tell this story. Um, so I want to honour you guys. They are, Warren is, is Mike's son. But I remember this story that Mike used to tell us and it was phenomenal because it, it oozed the very thing that, that we see here in the garden. But he told a story that he was in a wool shop with Charmaine, his wife, Warren's mum, and he went up to the counter. He didn't want to be there. He explains how much he didn't want to be there because it was his Monday's day off and he's in a wool shop. For, for one, and no man enjoys going into a wool shop. But he went to the counter and he was going to pay for the wool and there was, a, there was an Arab man behind the counter and he started to, his eyes started to well up. And I remember Mike used to tell the story to say that 
you know, he, he thought in his head, please don't cry because I, it's, my, it's my day off and I don't want to deal with this. But that's not the way Mike was. I know he would have dealt with him right off the bat. But the man started to, to tear up and Mike asked him, what's wrong? And he said to him, I can see Jesus in your eyes. I can see Christ in your life. And I remember him telling that story and it rocking me because that's what we should aspire to be like. That when we walk into a room, the aroma that we carry of Christ fills the room. That when we leave, people go, something is different here. Something is different here. When people look at your life, they should be able to look and see and see something is different about that guy. There's something that comes from him. That's the fruitfulness of your life. That's the mandate that God asked Adam and Eve, go expand the kingdom, carry the fruit, reach those who are out there and let the fruit of your life speak for itself. Let Jesus be filled in the room by the way you carry him in, by the image you carry. Then continues on, it says, fill the earth. God created us in that manner as the lights of the world. He created us in his image. I spoke about that a few weeks ago. You are the light. I've created you in the image of God. So we carry the light of the world in us because of who Christ is and we're to expand that light out from us. So when we fill the earth, we're to fill the earth with his light. It can't just be in here. It can't just be placed in these four walls. We train, equip, learn, grow, honor the Father, give him worthy of sorry, give him the worship that he's worthy of. And then we go out and we take the light with us and we fill the earth. We fill the earth. And the last thing it says there is to subdue it and to take dominion, to overcome and to bring into alignment and to express the kingdom rule and allow it to reign over everything. When you go into a situation and you carry the light of the world, guess what? It has to bow to that light and come into alignment with the kingdom of heaven. You cannot make a room more dark than dark, but you can make a room more light than light. Does that make sense? I didn't explain that great. Dame's got a little bit not sure on that. My English wasn't great, was it? I'd get like a, a B minus. Eh? A B minus. <laughs> I put that in brackets so that I didn't get it wrong for your sake, Dems. You can't turn the darkness down, but you can turn the light up. We come to a position where we have to decide, is this, are we playing games here or are we really going to bring ourselves before him and say, Lord, me, I will go. Do I have to go to the Horn of Africa? No. Do I have to go to India? No. Go just out there. But first, you have to evaluate, is God operating through me? Sorry. I got lost in the next part. I want to show you where Jesus, where Jesus reiterates this in two verses in Matthew. Matthew 22, 36 to 40. It says, teacher, which is the great command in the law? And he said to him, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the, and the prophets. The next verse further down in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. They're arguing and it says, Oh, sorry, it says, and Jesus came to them 
and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. Those two verses in your, in your Bible are called the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. These are the two things that Jesus is saying. Do you know what we were given back in Eden? You know they gave Adam and Eve? I'm going to reiterate them to you in a language you'll understand. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Make disciples and expand the kingdom. It's the same mandate that was given back in Eden to mankind. What Jesus did by bringing you back into the fold was he brought you back into the garden with God. He brought you back into communion one-to-one with the Father. So the mandate that was given to Adam and Eve continues back to mankind. What do we have to do? Love the Lord your God with all that you have. Then love the person next to you with, with the same amount of love. Make them a disciple and then get them to go and expand out the kingdom. That's as simple as the life of Christianity is. That's all we have to do. Love the Lord my God with all my heart. Love Coco with all my heart. Help make her a disciple and then send her to go make more disciples and do exactly what I've just done. The model that we've drawn in the church is so complicated, but Jesus breaks it down to the simplicity of the garden. That's how we do it. Now, that's really easy to say, Ben, when you're sitting in a place where you're not hurting, where things are going really well, where you can pay all your bills and everything looks all rosy for you. Yeah, I understand that life is hard. Things are tough. But the mandate of God never changes. What God has asked us to do, the mandate of God never changes. The way we do it and how we do it, that's what changes. The difference between the mandate of God and the ministry of God changes. Church may not always look like this. Church may not always look like the way you want it to look like. If we go back 10 years, church didn't look like this. We go back 20 years, church didn't look like this. But the mandate stayed the same. The mandate of God, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, make disciples, expand the kingdom, has never changed. So when we go into a COVID lockdown and things start to get turned upside down, the ministry starts to look a little different. But the mandate doesn't change. So as a people, we go, well, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? We can't meet like this anymore. Keep doing the mandate with whatever tools you have before you. But Ben, I don't want to sit here anymore. We've got to be out there. Great, keep doing the mandate and let God reveal the way you do it to you. Because the way it looks for me is going to be different to how it looks for Willem. His, his ministry is going to look different to mine. But the mandate's the same. So I can high-five him and say, bro, good on you. We're doing, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. He becomes my brother, not my enemy. But there's a season and a time where maybe our, our ministry does look the same. Maybe we hold hands, we partner in a journey to achieve the mandate together until God says, okay, let's separate. The goal for me is to empower you into whatever ministry God is calling you for. Now, that doesn't mean that all of you are going to go and start churches. 
but it may mean you are already in a workplace. You're already in a sporting team. There's a ministry field that's already before you, and we're on the same direction for the same mandate, but your, your ministry looks very different to mine. I can't reach and, and be light to the, the same people in the world that Sylvia can be. So our ministry is different, but our mandate is the same. Does that make sense? The reason this is important is because at the, at the current moment, there is a lot of argument and there is a lot of backbiting and fighting about what the ministry should look like. Let me say this, it doesn't matter. So long as the mandate is being achieved, it does not matter. Where you meet, when you meet, how you meet, if you meet, so long as you can act you can come before God with all honesty in your heart, with humility in your heart, and say, Lord, I'm loving you with all that I have. I'm loving my brother with all that I am. I'm making disciples and I'm expanding the kingdom. God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. It does not matter so long as you are honoring the king in all that he is and doing all that he asks. It doesn't matter. This isn't an ad for, my, for Thursday night, but that's what we're going to push into on Thursday night. Hopefully on Thursday nights for the next five or six weeks, we're going to be able to teach each other, learn and grow from each other about how to hear what our ministry should look like. We know the mandate and we're going to encourage each other to continue on that. That's why... Paul the Apostle, I'm almost finished. The slides aren't going to take me long, I promise. That's why Paul the Apostle can say these two things with absolute surety in his heart, with absolute conviction. In Romans 14, 4 and 5, he says this. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. If God's, tell you, if God's told you and you're making disciples, you're loving him, you're loving others, and you're expanding the kingdom, it doesn't matter. He then says in Philippians 1.18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. In pretense or in truth, if Christ's name is being exemplified, if Christ's name is being lifted up, it doesn't matter. What he's painting here is a picture to say, guys, what matters more than anything is the, is the praise and glory of King Jesus and the expansion of his kingdom. It's not the way I would do it. It doesn't look like the things that, that I would have preached to you. But did they preach Jesus? Yes. Awesome. It doesn't matter. Follow the example of the one they preached and you will be on your way to fulfilling the mandate and doing what God's asked you to do. We have to stop looking at those who are around us and pointing the finger to say, that's not God, that's not God, that's not God. Because what we do is we get ourselves in a position where we become high and mighty. We become the one who gets to decide what is and what isn't. But when the reality of Christ is proclaimed, we can rejoice. The change that we are needing and the change that we are looking for will not come in just changing the ministry. 
We must endeavor to change our hearts and refocus on the mandate that God has given to us. This new thing that God is doing, this change that he's moving in and through a people will not be done in what this looks like. It'll be done on one-to-one in our hearts where we can refocus on the mandate where it all makes sense. Flip, I was supposed to be achieving that, not living for myself. To be a disciple of Christ, I was supposed to lay down myself. That's what God is calling us into. So I want to show you the model that Jess showed me, which I think is incredibly helpful. Katrinda, can I press buttons on this? Yes. Let's grow. All right. So it's an acronym. Fantastic. Preaching with an acronym. I love it. Well, it's like I prepared this for you, but I didn't, I promise. Preaching with an acronym. Grow. The first one, G, is the goal. So Jess, this is, this is, how, this is how Jess speaks to um, the company in which she's becoming higher and higher in and, and runs all the team is simplicity like this. What is the goal for us as followers of Christ and as the church in an ever-changing world? The goal is simply for us to go from consuming to contending. What we have learned predominantly in the West is that the church meets on a Sunday morning and it exists for us to come in, to feel pepped up, to feel strengthened and to be sent back out, to barely make it through our week and hopefully get to Sunday again when we come back in, get pepped back up and then hopefully we make it through the week again. That's not what God's asking us to do. That's not what Paul preached to the Ephesians. He preached to the Ephesians, put on your armor and be the front line of the kingdom. When we learn how to go, I'm not going to just consume, eat and get fat. I'm going to contend for the kingdom. Who knows, we're actually in a fight right now. We're in a war. Some of you will feel it more than others. Some of you in the midst going, yep, I know we're in a war. I'm, I'm belly button deep in war, right? Get the war part. The reality now is, are you willing to contend or are you going to lay down and die? See, you have to decide within you, am I going to fight for this? Am I going to fight for the kingdom of God in my life? Am I going to fight for the kingdom of God in the lives of others? Am I going to contend? Am I going to fight? Well, what does that look like? What does that look like? Come to church every Sunday morning, never miss a Sunday? Maybe. Read my Bible every morning? Maybe. Begin to pray and learn how to actually speak to the Father? Maybe. See, God, you already know what it is that I know how I need to contend. I know the areas in my life where I'm going, God, I want you more. I want to see you more. And you hear that small, still voice, Ben, contend for me. Fight for me. When I get frustrated with things that people have said to me or things that people have called me or said I have or haven't done, I start going, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. When I get to the place where people have said, you're this or you're that or you're not this or you're not that, and I've gone, God, I am done. And you hear that still small voice, will you contend for me? Will you contend for my kingdom? You're hurt and it's tired and you don't want to do it anymore, but will you contend for my kingdom? That's what he's asking all of us. That's our goal. If I can shift just one person a year to contend for the kingdom instead of just consuming from the kingdom, we will have reached the goal. What's our reality I believe at the moment in the church 
The reality of God is that Jesus is our self-help guru. He's our genie in a bottle. He's our pick-me-up when I'm feeling down. He's our, gee, I hope he makes me feel better today. We've actually failed to see him as the king of glory with holiness who enters the room. See, when we sing that song, everything changes when you enter the room. Everything changes, Lord, when you enter the room. What we picture is that everything in me gets better. I get healed. I feel encouraged. I feel excited. But that everything that changes is the holiness that enters the room where there's a reverence towards the king. Yes, those things happen because he is the healing. He is the nurturer. There's all those things. But the reality of him is that he's not just our self-help guru. Will he help you? Yes. Will he give you rest? Yes. Will he heal you? Yes. But that's not where it stops. The healing and the wholeness comes so that we can step into the next part. The healing and the wholeness, yes. If you are hurting, go and lay by the brook. Ask Jesus to come and to heal you. Ask him to reveal himself in you. But then, once you've got that healing, don't go, thank you very much, Lord. I'll see you when I'm hurting again. Right? Then he says, now you're whole and you're better. Now you're the person who who I've created you to be. Will you contend for me? I've patched you back up. I've put you back together. Will you go back to the lines for me? Will you fight for the kingdom for me? That's what God's asking of us. Jesus is not our genie in a bottle. He's not our self-help guru. He's not the one that I hope he'll bring me goosebumps. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Holy One. He's the one that we stand before with reverential fear. Does that make sense? Does this upset anybody? It's okay. No? Yeah? Cool. Sorry. So our goal is to go from consuming to contending. Treating Jesus like our self-help guru is consuming, consuming, consuming. But, But to be encouraged, grown and strengthened and then to go back out and fight for him is to contend for the kingdom. So what are our options? Our options are to use what's in our toolbox, to use what God has put before us. I have just given you 14, what did I say before? 14 weeks of study through Ephesians. Aside from the study that you've been doing and reading through and asking God to reveal, there is hours of content, hours of things that we can do to walk as the body of Christ. Not to mention the YouTube sermons we've all watched, the the Spotify worship we've all listened to. I was in a I was in a, a meeting during the week and there was this old farmer from Toowoomba. Uh, Ian Shelton was his name, beautiful man, and he he is an incredible apostle of Christ. Uh, he's in his early nineties, I think, late eighties, mid eighties. And he hadn't said a word. There was about fifteen of us sitting around a table and he hadn't said a word. And then someone said to him, Ian, what do you think about this? And he said, well, I'm a farmer and there's only two ways that I can explain it to you. He said, if it doesn't, if you can't plant it on the ground, it's just a good idea. And then he said, we know far more than we do. I was like, well, let's just pack up and go home because he's, he's just nailed the meeting. He said, we know far more than we do. And I thought, that's us, especially in the West. We've listened to hours of sermons, 
hours of biblical readings. We've listened to tons and tons of people's examples of what the, the Bible's saying. We've read commentary after commentary, book after book after book. And then we look and we go, what's next? I've read all these books. Right? We are incredibly, incredibly theory-rich but practical poor. We have to begin now to go, okay, Lord, my toolbox is full of brand new Makita tools that are still in the box. Brand new drills. I tried to go for a tool analogy there. I didn't have a... <laughs> I was like, that thing, that one that does the stuff, that cuts the things, you know? Coco saw. I guess it can be a saw. Guys, we all have enough in our toolbox. We've seen enough sermons. Does that mean sermons are bad? No. Does that mean we shouldn't be being preached for what's happening in a time that we're in? No. But, but you can go now and go, well, what do I do, Ben? Well, go back through some of the stuff that you've already read. Go back through some of the stuff that changed you. Go back through some of your notebooks that you've taken note upon note. I have terabytes of notes that I've taken. Go back. Read some of those. Go, did I apply that? Go back through the Ephesians teachings. Did I apply any of this? So how do I apply it? This is the last one, the W, which is the way forward. Yes. The way forward. I want to leave us with this because this challenges me and I was very, very challenged when I show you the simplicity of how this can work. Jesus operated on a discipleship method. He had 12, well, he had one then he had three, then he had 12, then he had the 72, right? But the reality was, was that he drew a model of discipleship one to another. Not a conversion, a discipleship one to another, taking you deeper into what I already know. So what does that look like? Well, if I can look at Coco and go, all right, I want to walk with Coco in her, in her Christian walk, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give her everything that I know about Jesus and I'm going to offer it to her as discipleship to grow, teach, and equip her. But what I'm also going to do then is I'm going to ask her to go and do that with one other person. Right. So if I give myself a goal, all right, God, I want to operate for you in a deeper, more meaningful way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get this year one person. I'm going to train, equip, and grow one person. I'm going to disciple one person. Now, they may be somebody who you just got saved. They may be somebody who you just see has been in church for a while but doesn't really know who Jesus is. I'm going to get one person. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach them everything I know about Christ in whatever way I do it. We play golf once every Thursday. We bake cakes. We whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to lean and grow into that one person. And I'm going to teach them at the end of the year to go and get one more person. If we do that, if I do that, right, and I start today, I'm going to get one by the end of the year and I'm going to teach them to get one next year and I'll get a new one. In 10 years, you have 1,024 disciples. In 20 years, you have 10 million disciples. In 25 years, you have 33 million disciples. There's 7.6 billion people in the year, in, sorry, in the, in the world in 40 years with this model, we can disciple the entire nation. That would make me 68. 
I did the maths. You guys are all like, he did maths here. I did maths. It took me a while, but I got there. 40, uh, 68. That means that if I follow this model to the T, by the time before I'm 70, I can see the world discipled for Christ. Now, look, I understand the simplicity of that. There's things that come into play that are going to move us around. But why not aim for that? That's not an unattainable task. One person. One person a, a week. A year, but I meant meeting with the one person a week. In 40, 40 years, we see Christ return. This is all over. We clock out. Right? 40 years. That's phenomenal. There's a lot of us in this room that we get to see Christ returned and fulfilled in the world in our lifetime. Few of you will just miss it, but it won't matter. That should challenge us to the core. The simplicity of the Bible is to, to love God with all that we are, love our neighbor with all that we are, make disciples and expand the kingdom, and in 40 years God will come back and we'll move into eternity. That's not me oversimplifying it. That's the scriptures. That's what God's revealed to us. Then Jess came up with this fantastic little thing. Our way forward should come from options that change our reality and help us to achieve our goal. If I can just teach Coco to contend for the kingdom, if my role as a discipleship maker is to teach Coco to contend for the kingdom, and then I say, Coco, I've taught you how to contend. Go and teach one more person how to contend. And then I take Willem. Willem, I'm going to teach you how to contend. She's got Josh. I've got Willem. Now we're at four who aren't just willing to consume from the church, they're willing to fight with all that they are and contend for the kingdom of God. That's the reality of the kingdom. That's the simplicity. But how easy is it? It's hard. Why? Because I want my life. I want the things. I want five days a week, nine, ten-hour days. I want the house. I want the car. I want Saturday, Sundays off. I want my evenings. I want to rest. Reminds me of that Hook film. I want, I want, I want. Shmi, shmi, shmi. But if we can get ourselves to a place where this means something to us, where this means something to us, and we hear the, the voice of God not give us a fancy prophetic word or read someone's number, but quietly whisper to us, Ben, will you contend for me? Will you fight for me? Does that make sense? Why don't we stand and I'll pray. I hope that for us this leaves something that allows us to go away, even if you just go away and think about that 40-year one to another Think about the way people see you in your workplace. Think about the way people see you. This is not to be condemning, guys. This is to encourage us that we are here for something, that there is a purpose and a reason as to why we gather. There is a purpose and a reason as to why we come before God, why we read our scriptures, why we ask him to be in our lives and, and allow us to, to flow through our lives. So, Father, we come this morning... God, as image bearers of you, 
like you created us in the garden, like you've revealed to us that we are made in your image to go forth and produce good fruit, to multiply the light that's in this world. God, that you have given us the keys to push back the darkness, that if we would rise up and step in to the mandate that you've given us, that we can push back the darkness, that we can break down the gates of hell. God, I just pray this morning, Lord, that we have been encouraged and not condemned. Lord, that the challenge you gave us to follow you as disciples, to lay aside everything and to come before you. Lord, may you give us a revelation of that. May you reveal to us what that looks like. Lord, I pray that you would help us to stop pointing fingers at each other, to stop saying that it's everyone else's fault, Lord, and to allow us, like David, to search our heart and find the areas, Lord, that we are lacking in you. Help us to come before you in reverential fear and awe of you, holy King, worthy and righteous of all that we have. Lord, we worship you here this morning. I pray, God, if nothing else, that you were exalted, that your name was glorified, that your kingship was put in place here. Jesus, we declare your kingship in this house. We declare your kingship in this city and we declare your kingship in this nation. You are the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the ruler and reigner, beginning and end, all that we are, Jesus. So I pray as we go this morning, that this doesn't just be another notch in our belt or another feather in our headdress, that this would be an impactful change in our lives to see you more, to know you more, and to be effective in your kingdom more, Jesus. We love you, we honour you, and in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.